So second week of All In, we're getting our hearts ready for Easter, and I've been reminded in the last few weeks of a few important dynamics in the life of a follower of Jesus that really just change everything. So today I'm talking about conversations that change everything. I want to take you through a few that I've had that God used to dramatically change things. And I want to remind you as we get started that God still desires to speak to his people. Now when I say that, depending on your religious tradition, it can bring up all kinds of images for you. When I say that God still desires to speak to you, for some of you, you come from a tradition where when you talk about God speaking to people, that's almost like a daily thing. Uh, like you're driving in a parking lot looking for a parking spot, and God says, turn here, and you do. And then he says, go down five spaces and make it right, and when you do, there's a spot. Like when I say God talks to you, that's the kind of thing you're talking about. That's what you hear me saying. For some of you, depending on your tradition, I say God talks to you, you're like, yeah, God speaks through his word. Of course God still speaks. He speaks through his word, and when you read his word, the Holy Spirit illuminates it and drives that word home into your heart, and God has spoken to you, and that's true too. In fact, I'm not limiting at all today how God might choose to speak in somebody's life. What I want to do is I want to elevate for you, if I can, for a few minutes, the power of being open to hearing him speak. Years ago, 45 years ago, I was seated, uh, seated in a Sunday school class. One of the reasons why I'm so committed to children's ministry is because of what I'm about to tell you right now. I was in a Sunday school class and didn't particularly want to be there. I was only there because they gave out prizes if you showed up, you got to uh, put your hand in a penny jar. You got to take home a goldfish. It was total gimmick. But I was there for those things. There wasn't a single bone in my body at five years old that really was interested in anything going on. I would much rather have watched cartoons and eaten cereal in front of the television set. That's what we used to do at my age on Sunday morning and Saturday morning. But I'm in church, and the teacher began to describe a story that completely captivated my attention. There was a young boy named Samuel, and his mother was just thrilled to have Samuel as a kid. She had prayed and asked God for years to give her a child, but no child came. And finally, God answered her prayer later on in life, and she gives birth to a son. And she promised God, God, if you give me a son, I'll give him back to you for your service. That's not the part that interested me. That's just the background part. But when she gave Samuel back to the Lord in service, what it practically meant was that Samuel would spend extra time in the Lord's house working with the priests of the temple, and he would be around the things of God a lot. And so he was around the lead prophet, the lead priest in that town. His name was Eli, and he was working with and for Eli. He kind of lived with Eli, probably went home on the weekends to be with his mom, but Samuel's mother kept her promise, and so Samuel's in the church doing the work. And one evening, Samuel hears while he's laying in bed what he thinks to be Eli calling for him. Samuel, Samuel. So he gets up like a dutiful partner in the ministry, a guy who works with, just privileged to be there with Eli. And he gets up and he goes over to her, Eli's sleeping, and he says, Eli, you called for me. And Eli says, I didn't call for you. Go back to bed. Samuel goes back to bed, and he hears Samuel, Samuel. So he gets up and he goes back to Eli. Eli, you called for me. I didn't call for you, Samuel. Go back to bed. It happens a third time. And the third time when he goes to Eli, Eli says to him, Samuel, the next time you hear that voice, call your name. Say this phrase. Say, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. And the Bible tells us when you read it in 1 Samuel that 
that Samuel had not yet learned to hear the voice of God. So it happens. Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel says, speak for your servant is listening. And Samuel received in that moment from God a promise about his life, that his life would make an impact on the entire country. And it did, man. Samuel, from that moment on, begins to be a major player in the spiritual history of Israel. His words are recorded for us in our Bible in First and Second Samuel, the books about him. He, he was not only a prophet and a priest, but he was a king maker. He's the one that, that anointed David king over Israel. He was the one that God spoke through in his day more than anybody else. And while I was impressed with what happened with the young man Samuel and how it happened so early, at five years old, here's what captured my attention. A kid who had never really been around church much, my parents had just started going to church, was that God would speak to a little boy, that a little boy could hear from God. I hate that it would be a little boy because at that point all the stories I'd heard seemed like they had happened to people who were much older and important and all that stuff. And I knew I was just a kid, but God would speak to a kid. And then secondly, that God would speak at all. I, I wasn't familiar with this language of God being involved in a person's life. But in that story, I learned something that would impact me in similar ways to Samuel's life being impacted. Being taught to be receptive to the things of God has dramatically shifted my life and put me in a place Far different than had I not been open to the voice of God. I, I want to be perfectly clear with you today. God still speaks. We're going to talk about the varieties of ways in which he speaks. We're going to briefly talk about some of the, the limitations so it doesn't get crazy. Because the moment I talk about God speaking, there's a group of people who hear this. and say, They say, Ben, you know the kind of people that hear God speak? They're the kind of people that, you know, God talks to them and they go out and kill a bunch of people. God talks to them and they blow up a building. God talks to them and, you know, they, they remind people that they are, in fact, Jesus Christ incarnate. They belong in an asylum somewhere, perhaps. That's the kind of people that God do. But apart from all the craziness and apart from all the, the stuff on the edges, at the center of this point, we have a heavenly father. That's the language he chooses to define himself as. It's the language of relationship. It's the language of doing life together. We have a heavenly father that speaks to his children. And your spiritual journey, your spiritual life will be radically altered for good when you learn to tune in and respond to the voice of God. Let me give you a couple of examples. I'm always leery of a pastor who all the heroes of all of his stories is him. That makes me nervous, right? I, I don't like that. Have you ever been around a guy like that? A lot of times pastors are always the heroes of their stories. That makes me nervous. But I'm going to share with you a couple moments where I, without a doubt, heard the voice of God in my heart, in my life, in the circumstances of which I was. So I was serving on staff at a church, and um, I began to feel uneasy about my role. There was nothing wrong with the church. The, the leader I have utmost respect for to this day, a man of integrity. But the direction the church was heading and the fitness for me and my gift and calling and what was expected of me began to create some tension in my life. Wasn't anything wrong with that. I had served my time, served well, and I was feeling a little uneasy. And in that time, I went to a conference where a lot of pastors gather. It's a pattern of mine. A couple times a year, I get away. I sit down, put on my learner's hat, and I say, God, fill my bucket with whatever, you know, bring to me whatever I need to hear. 
um, recharge my batteries, give me a break. It's usually in a pretty nice city with some good food and that kind of stuff as well. So just, you know, emotionally, mentally, physically recharge me as well as spiritually. And about three-fourths of the way through that conference, I'm sitting in a chair with a few thousand other pastors, ministers. And the minister is speaking, the guy giving the presentation. We've done some worship. It was powerful. And almost in like a weird way, in a way that I didn't anticipate, I'm sitting there, and I get this distinct impression. Now, before I tell you what it was, let me tell you what I've been praying up to this point. God, give me direction. Show me what you want me to do. If you want me to stay here, I'll stay here. If you want me to be quiet, I'll be quiet. If you want me to speak, I'll speak. If you want me to go, I'll go. Just, I need a sense of your direction in my life. That's what I've been praying. I'd gotten people around me to begin praying that very tight, close-knit circle of friends. Is this right for me? Should I stay here? Where should I go? What should I do? I just, I feel uneasy, but if it's just me, I don't want to move too quick. So here I am sitting in this conference, all their prayers going on in the background. And I just get this distinct impression, not the audible voice of God. I've never had that happen. I'm so jealous of pastors who hear from God like that all the time, you know. They, the way they kind of tell the stories is God would come to me and he would say something like, Ben, today you should wear a blue sweater. People will think it looks really great on you. And they're like, okay, Lord, I'll wear a blue sweater. And then he's like, well, and then match it with the white and green socks. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> and so they do. You know? And so like, pastors talk like that sometimes. I get so jealous. I've never had a moment like that. But I'm sitting in the seat and I get this distinct impression. Your life is about to change in radical ways. You're never going to be the same. That was the impression I got. Now, is that the Lord? I don't know. But I'll tell you what I did. I got up. I went out. This is pre-cell phones. I, I went out and uh, went to the payphone, put my little AT&T number in there. Some of you remember those days. You had to punch in 5011 numbers. And I punched it all in. My wife picks up the phone, and, I, and I'm crying. And I said, and Jill can verify the story, so you don't have to believe me. My wife won't lie to you, all right? I said, I don't know what's happening right now, but our life's about to be rocked. Everything's going to be different. And I just want to tell you, this church, years later, this church is a direct result of the Lord prompting and me following those promptings right there. I could tell you a crazy story around it. Pretty dramatic. Pretty dramatic. One day, I was uh, at our, our church facility when we were at Cox Road property. Uh, we're at one end of Cox Road now. We're on the other end. We we're borrowing a church building, and car pulls up. Guy gets out, and he says, hi, my name is. He tells me what his name is. He says, my name's Mark, and uh, my wife's in the car, and uh, she used to be on staff at this church when it met in this building, not with you guys. And, um, and uh, we used to actually do youth ministry in this building, and I thought maybe you could come out and say hello to her. Okay. All right. Okay. Weirder things have happened. I walked out and I'm chatting with this lady. Her name's Melissa. Some of you already know I'm talking about Melissa Clark. And while I'm talking to her, I can tell she's troubled. She had had a bit of an interesting journey in church work, as happens a lot with people. And while she's talking, I get this prompting a spirit prompting. And I've been walking with Jesus long enough. Even though I knew for me it was real, I also know I'm human, I can miss it. So years ago, I gave up doing the classic thing that some people do when they feel promptings from the Spirit. You know, maybe if I were much younger, I would have looked in that moment when I felt this prompting and I would have said to her, everybody stop talking, God's going to talk now. Here's what God wants everybody to know right now. All right, that's not what happened. 
what happened was I felt this prompting, and it was as real as what I was just kind of joking about. It was as real for me as it was, but I can miss it. So I said, you know, I'm not sure what I'm hearing right now, but I don't think God's done with you and your ministry. In fact, it wouldn't surprise me at all if you just come here and rest, if in a few months you're not working on this team. In fact, I, I, I'd be open to that if the Lord's in that. And that's exactly what happened. It was just a, a prompting, the listening to the voice of God, trying to respond in the moment. As a dad, sometimes I wish God would talk to me with great clarity and tell me exactly what I need to know about my kids so I could get ahead of some stuff, you know. Um, I got great kids, but they're kids, and nobody makes it into adulthood without some bumps and bruises and learnings along the way. That's just life. It's okay. And I've said all along, I've been pastoring this church, that my kids would be awesome if they didn't have to play with your kids. You guys are screwing them up. Um, so that's just a pushback on the whole pastor's kid thing, right? So, but but I, I don't have a lot of those where God tells me what I need to know. But it isn't unusual for God to speak from somebody else who's in relationship with my kids. And they don't tell me stuff. They don't like telling me secrets. They'll, they'll say stuff like this. I was having a conversation with your son, and he was talking about this thing, and he was just very, very excited about it. That, that's it. But sometimes when conversations like that happen, inside of me there's this little uh, click. There's a, there's a turn that happens, and I go, oh, there's something in this. There's an interest in my kid. There's a, there's a, there, there's a heart that he has for this thing or this activity. The, the other day it was your son played drums at the worship night, and uh, it's not his primary instrument. He did a great job, but it was just so cool to see him up there worshiping. And while he was talking, I was hearing, I was like, oh, I'm so proud of my, but inside of me, it was like, God impressed on me. I've called your son to be a worshiper. And it just brought me deep peace that God would reach out to my son because he loves him more than I do. And he would speak to him. And every once in a while, I'd have a front row seat to kind of watch some of that dynamic. How cool is that? God still speaks. And your spiritual life can be deeply enriched when you follow the promptings of God revealed to you from the Father himself to his children. And I've described three that are kind of like promptings that are very subjective, but there's some black and white ones that have happened. I can't tell you the number of times I've been reading the word of God in my chair time, that 15-minute time that I'm just trying to drill into you. Make an appointment with the chair, open the Bible, talk to God, let him talk to you. And I'm just reading the scripture, and a line that I've read a dozen times before will jump out at me, and it's exactly the word I need for the day. And God reminds me in those moments, I'm here, I haven't forgotten you, I'm still speaking, my word is still powerful, it still brings life. Pretty powerful when God speaks. 1 Samuel chapter 3, in your message notes, in your Bible, on your phone, on the screen, you can follow along. Here's what our Bible says. Now Samuel did not know, did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. 
the Lord called to Samuel a third time, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am, you called. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy, so Eli told Samuel, go and lie down, and if he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. There's the phrase for us today. I'm wondering in the count of three if you'll say it with me. It's speak, Lord, your servant is listening. All right, on the count of three, one, two, three. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Yeah. It's a powerful disposition. I want you to understand a few things about why God speaks. Now, I'm a teacher by some training and some experience, and so um, when I jump into these topics that can be a little complex, overwhelming, new, or I want to maybe bring something back to your mind that used to be a part of your spiritual journey, I try to think, how do we need to understand it? How do we get to the why behind what we're talking about before we get into all the how? Uh, I find that the why is a deeply powerful motivator. The reason why Jill and I need to have a healthy and vibrant marriage is it isn't just good for us. It's the testimony of that marriage is good for our kids. It's good for our church. It's good for our community. And so the why we're going to work hard to get along is because the spillover effect outside of us benefits a lot of people. That why really motivates us to lean in. And when we forget the why, it's real easy then to be motivated only by what I want. We get a little selfish. So I try to understand the why. So let, let's kind of plow into four statements to just set some boundaries around why God wants to speak. All right? Number one, God does not speak for your contemplation or your consideration. He speaks to activate your obedience. See, see when God speaks, he's the dad. He's the father. And that can conjure up images in your, in your life, in your memories that aren't great for you. Um, I don't know what your experience with your dad was like, but when you think about our heavenly father, the Bible describes him with the perfect imagery that he's always loving, always kind. He has capacity. He has ability. He has power. He has insight. He's ahead of you. All those things that it means to be a father. And he's deeply connected to you. He really wants your well-being. But he doesn't just want you happy. He wants you whole as well. He doesn't want to just give you stuff. He wants you to be able to be responsible as well. So like a dad, he comes to us and he speaks, and he speaks over our lives through the word, in the, in the wise counsel of brothers and sisters, sometimes in relevant biblical teaching. God can speak through circumstances, just the accumulation of circumstances over time. You look back and you can go, whoa, I think God's up to something here. And he speaks all the time. But he doesn't speak so much, and if you want to develop the ability to hear, to have that speak, Lord, your servant is listening mentality, if you want to develop that, one of the things you have to get back is that God is speaking so that you can think about whether or not it's good for you. God's speaking so that you can contemplate it and consider it for three or four months before you're totally open to hear what he has to say. The idea here is that if God speaks and wants to bring something into your life, kind of intersect your life with the truth that he's given us in his word, and it's always been in the Bible, it's been in there before you were born, but at this moment, that word from God in his word is going to speak specifically to a detail in your life, then in order for that to happen, there has to be an automatic receptivity. Like, God, if you want to talk to me, I'm 100% open. And before I even know what you're going to say to me, the answer is yes. 
I don't need to know any details. The answer is yes. That kind of a receptivity opens up your life to hear from God in ways that a God speak to me, and if it sounds reasonable, if I kind of like it, if it's not going to cost me too much effort or energy, if it doesn't push me too hard, then I'll engage it. Now, here's the thing. Nobody goes through it that mechanically. Nobody thinks through it that way, but parents, aunts, uncles, grandparents in the room, right? You, you ever, like, you know, talk to a younger kid, your kid, your grandkid, and you're giving them exactly what they need in the moment, but while you're talking to them, you can just tell? It's not like landing in receptive soil. <laughs> you know, you, you can just sense that they're not 100% buying what you're laying down, right? They're not, they're not picking it up. And so as a parent, then you, you, you maybe you talk a little louder, maybe you, you know, get down and try to engage here, and, and God does some of that as well. But what works really, really well is, is when God wants to speak, you just bring an automatic receptivity and a yes, Lord, whatever you want mentality. Because he's not trying to build an argument to convince you that his heart for you is good. He's already done that. He's not trying to show you that um, the best thing you can do with your life in this moment is to give yourself over to him and all that he wants. He's already done that and demonstrated that repeatedly in the scripture. When God wants to show up and speak, those things are to be assumed. And when you assume them, God, you're good. You'd never direct me in a place that ultimately deep down I don't want to go anyway. You made it clear you'll give me the desires of my heart. So if, if you're guiding and directing, you're going to work both sides of that coin. You're going to change my heart to desire it or you're going to build in me a willingness to want it anyway. So either way you work, you're never going to take me anywhere that isn't great for me. And I want to tell you one of the biggest lies of the enemy. That somehow if you give yourself all the way over into fully being receptive to anything that God says to you, that somehow you're going to end up in a place you don't want to go. And the classic example here, if you grew up in churches, is, you know, I don't want to ask God to send me into ministry because he might send me to, we used to say it this way, he might send me to China. I don't know what was so bad about China, right? But I got, God will send me to China, so I got to kind of hold back. Because if I go all the way in, I'm going to wake up one day and I'm going to be a missionary in the jungle. I doubt it. But I tell you this, here's why I 100% know. If you give yourself all the way over into God, whatever it is, how he wants you to engage your marriage, how he wants you to engage your finances, how he wants you to engage your, the way you use your mouth to speak life or death, whatever it is. If you give yourself all the way over into God, when you wake up that day that he... Imagine when you wake up and you find yourself in that place, can I just tell you how you're going to feel? Like you're exactly where you belong. And there's going to be a deep-seated peace and purpose in you because when God directs your steps, they only take you where deep down you really want to go anyway. Now, there'll be some journey and some struggle, of course, but that's all part of God developing you and growing you for the place he's taking you. Number two, God speaks to direct your path. That's his part. But then you and I, you will have to take the steps towards obedience and walk the path. But when God prompts, when you're stirred in a sermon, when, when you're sitting in a room and you realize, I'm, I have a drinking problem, 
That's the Spirit of God, I believe. Like, I've got this addiction that's holding me back from what God wants for me. When that happens, that's God at work. And you're going to have to get up with his power, with his enabling, but with your effort too. And you're going to have to walk that path. That's why God is speaking and prompting and convicting and convincing. That's what he does. Number three, God speaks to make you good. Here's the challenge in our culture, I think. Not simply to make you feel good. Now, by making you good, I want to be clear on that point because I've only had a little bit of space here. But God wants to give you the grace, or he wants to give you Jesus through the grace that he offers. Uh, You receive it by faith. It's the goodness of Christ. It's not your own goodness. He isn't just cleaning up your life so you can somehow earn it. That's not what I'm talking about at all. When I say God wants to make you good, I'm talking about the Ephesians 2 kind of good. That you are prepared. You're his masterpiece prepared to do good works. He wants to make your life have purpose and design. He wants to make your life count. He, he wants to take you further than you could ever think or imagine. The purposes he has for you. That's what I mean by he wants to make you good. The challenge is, is that sometimes what we really just want more than anything else, and it's not always wrong as long as it's balanced, is we just really want to feel good. So we, we like to get our worship on because it appropriately, and this is the power of worship, it distracts us from our weak, it lifts our eyes and focuses upon our amazing God. We know how much he loves us. That's all awesome. There's nothing wrong with that. But ultimately, worship that gets you focused on God is supposed to, over time, begin to show up in your life, making you more of a disciple of Jesus. It's not just about getting your worship on, getting your feels No, 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 no. Worship has a purpose. Worship refines. Worship shows you who God is and who you are. And it's meant to draw you into the gap, draw you more into Jesus. It's not supposed to make you walk away and just think about how awesome the set was. No, we're supposed to walk away and think about how awesome God is. You see the difference? Powerful preaching is not just practical. Oh, I got some tips on how to communicate better with my spouse. No, 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 no. (laughs) That might be helpful. We do that sometimes. What's supposed to be happening here is this. God is transforming and molding. And when we talk about the power of the tongue in a marriage, it's really about saying, grow up as a disciple and learn what James spoke about when he wrote in the New Testament. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. What the the writer of the Proverbs meant when he said that a right word aptly spoken, a right word at a right time is like apples of gold set in frames of silver. That's just discipleship. So what we're talking about here is what God's trying to do more than anything is that he's trying to not just make you feel good. Here's the irony. is when you press into your discipleship, there'll be moments of stress and struggle. There's a journey that you're on, but as you look back and you see the growth that God is bringing to you as you respond to his word, to his prompting, to wise counsel of other people, what happens is, is you begin to look back and you say, God, you, you're actually writing a different story with my life than I could write on my own. You're doing something different in my life and through me than I could have ever done on my own. You're going to have a Samuel kind of experience where you look back on your life and maybe you aren't going to anoint kings and declare the truth over people in the way that Samuel did. But you look back over your life and you'll say, God, you have made something beautiful out of this clay. You've done something profound. That's why we have to 
develop a, a real resonance with the spirit and the move of God. Number four, God speaks to bless your life, but you're going to have to move towards the life to which he calls you. I mean, there is this thing where God does it and God directs and God lights, but then he calls us to cooperate and participate with it. One of the simple ways I like to just keep my theology clear here is just that salvation is free. It won't cost you anything. Salvation is free and costs you nothing. But following Jesus is going to cost you something. And there's the challenge. That's why the enemy doesn't want you to have ears that can hear. That's why Jesus is one of his favorite phrases when you read the Gospels. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. It's because he understands that you can be surrounded by truth and not listen. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. It's an attitude of the heart more than it is the mechanics and the biology of the ear. My heart is open. My, my mind is alert. I'm ready to receive God. Speak. Speak. I'm here. The earlier stories I shared with you were all very positive things. I, I want to share you one that's still very subjective. I don't know if God will ever do anything for you like this. My wife knows this story. I shared it with her. She was there to experience some of it. But I was serving on staff at a church in Florida. We had a great run there, and the Lord just did great things. And I worked for a man who just believed in investing in me. And what a powerful season of ministry. And I was young, felt like I had the world by the horns, and we were, we were just taking it for God, and it was, it was awesome. And I'm standing in a worship service, and... Um, Back in those days at that church, the staff sat on the stage. It was very odd, friends. We had these, like, little mini thrones. I don't know that we even really thought they were, looked like thrones, but they kind of do. And so we would sit up there, and whatever was going on, you know, we're, and so, like, you could watch that, but then you could watch us watch that. It was so strange. Um, but anyway, I'm up there at my little mini throne. <laughs> it's kind of funny. And... Uh, Worship's going on. I mean, people are into it. They're just into it. It's like one of those sweet moments. We have some of those around here, not enough. We have a few of them around here. It's like everybody's into it, right? And you know what I'm talking about. When you can just feel it. I look over. And I won't go into too much detail because some of my old friends watch. <clears throat> um, but I look over and I see somebody, a female. And it was one of those moments, like literally it's the, I'm in the moment where I'm like totally in like God's stuff. And I look at this woman and my mind flipped. Man, you know what I'm talking about? Don't nod your head. You're sitting by your wife. My wife knows this. My mind flipped and she caught my eye. Now, if I, me telling you this story makes you think I'm a bad pastor, there are pastors all over the city who've never thought like this, right? So she caught my eye. So here I am in the middle of this worship service and I see this woman. I'm like, wow, how have I not noticed how good looking this woman is? Now, I, I don't realize what I'm doing. It's just happening. And it lasted about 35 seconds, no lie. And I catch myself, and I'm like, whoa. All right, that, uh, my life's awesome. What am I doing? You know, by this point, I have a, a kid, my daughter. I'm like, golly, Ben, come on. You're You've killed this demon 100 times. What are you doing? So I just, you know, refocus. I'm all good. So at night, I'm laying in bed. I go to sleep. I had the most vivid, 
dream of the future of my life. Here, here's, what, here's what happened in my dream. So I know, by the way, when I say things like this, people get wigged out. It's all right. It's my experience. You don't have to have one like this, all right? For me, this is a treasure. In that dream, my, wife, my life went all the way through. In my dream, I've, I'm with that girl. My wife's over here. My daughter's over here. My marriage is wrecked. My daughter is bitter. The ministry is over. I have a different job, and it all unfolds for me. I don't know how it works in dreams. It all unfolds for me. I don't remember all the details, but I remember that that thought played out all the way. And it's like I got a panorama of life. I woke up in a fetal position crying like a baby. Jill remembers. I was broken. And Jill's like, what's wrong? What's wrong? I was like, and I just, I hadn't, I hadn't done anything wrong. As soon as I realized what was going on, I turned. So it wasn't so much a conviction, but I feel like God, by his spirit, gave me a gift of what would it look like if I were to be careless with my eyes and my heart. We used to sing a little song, be careful little eyes what you see. For your father up above is looking down with love, so be careful little eyes what you see. Now, I would love to tell you that I never, ever, ever had to intentionally avert my eyes again. I, I have. But God gave me a gift in that moment that gave me a sense of what was really at stake that somehow was elusive to me in that moment. The blinders of the enemy, look at this thing. It's desirable for the eye. Sound familiar? That's, by the way, Genesis chapter 3, exactly what he said to Eve. When, in fact, the road of sin always leads to death and decay. So you need ears to hear from God in part so that he can direct you where you need to go. But you need ears to hear from God so that you can avoid. There are times I've been reading the scripture and the conviction that fell in my bedroom while I'm sitting in my chair as I read that word from God. It was like I had sat all the way through 15 verses of just as I am and I was just clenching the pew and don't want to go forward and give my life to Jesus again. Those of you that are Baptists, you get that reference. Everybody else, just, it's all right. I'll give you another one in a second. Um, but it, it's, it was like conviction had come in the room, and it was nothing more than the word of God being spoken into an open heart. Then there are other times I go through the Bible, and I, and I, I read, and I, or I hear somebody talk, and I know what they're saying for me, but there is in me, for whatever reason, just a, a, a rebellion, a sinfulness that doesn't want, even though I know I need. If you lived your life as a disciple for any length of time, you know that's true. Probably true for you. So how do you develop ears to hear then if it's so important? I'm going to give you just a handful of statements that are less pure theology and more the practice learned after 30 years of ministry. All right? This is my best attempt to be crystal clear with you. Number one, um, obey what you already know. Can I tell you what will put cotton in your ear quicker than anything else? It will be more effective than those little earplugs we put for those of you that need them when you come in the room. Um, my dad, one of my dad's favorite things about this church is that we have earplugs. And so <laughs> it's awesome. I'm like, what about me? Um, but, so they work better than those earplugs. You know, you, know, you know what will stop it? Open, unrepentant sin. It, it stops the flow. Oh, God's still talking. But you understand, 
communication theory, here's the basic point. In communication theory, there is a sender of a message, and then there is a receiver of the message. And boy, you can get confused all over. The message can get confused in the mouth of the sender, so that when it lands in the receiver, it's just garbled. The sender can do a great job, but by the time it gets to the receiver, it's whatever, it's just jarbled there. So communication that it happens at all is an amazing thing. I mean, lots of things have to go right for you to just get the basic instructions about life. But what sin does is sin darkens, distorts, perverts, elevates priorities that should be kept low and lowers priorities that should be kept high. A self-serving thing, thing kicks in. The truth is, just to put it simply and bluntly, because I like to be a blunt guy, sin will make you stupid. And you'll know better, and you'll go, all right, I don't care. I've actually had some of those moments. I've talked with some of you who've had those moments. So if you want to take the cotton out of the ears, one of the simplest things you can do is, you don't need a new, new word, you don't need a dream like I had necessarily, you, don't, you have enough, obey what you already know to be true for you and what God is calling you towards and do it with sincerity and urgency. Just deal with it. When we pray at the end of the message here today, bow your head once again and say, God, once again, I've been a bad disciple. By the way, you know that the grace that is available to sinners is also available to bad disciples? Did you know that? I mean, the grace that saves sinners and rescues them from hell is the same grace available to bad disciples who aren't bringing all the heaven down to earth they're supposed to bring. It works both ways. So just bow your head and say, God, I'm a bad disciple here on this issue. And once again, I'm going to bring it to you. I'm going to ask you to cover it by your blood. And I want you, God, by your power to give me greater strength to walk in the direction you're calling me to go, to leave some things behind and pursue some things in front of me. It's obedience to what you already know God is calling you toward that enables you to discover what you don't already know. Then as you get in the word of God, as you around wise people, as the circumstances of life unfold, your receptivity to hear the whisper of God in those things will be heightened. Number two, seek godly counsel. Seek godly counsel. It's amazing what God can do in the wise counsel of other followers of Jesus. Some of the most important moments of turn in my life or steadying in my life happened because wise followers of Jesus who were sometimes a couple steps ahead of me and other times miles ahead of me in some area of the spiritual life spoke into me and it was as if God himself was speaking. That's the power of what the Bible calls the fellowship. That's why we're brothers and sisters. He's the father, and we're brothers and sisters, and we're it's a healthy family. So everybody only has a good heart for everybody else. So who should be speaking into your life? Let me give you three quick categories. Seek people who are where you want to be. I want it to be. There's a lot I don't mind to fail at. Honestly, if I fail at being a good pastor, okay, I'll go get a different job. But I did not want to fail at being a parent. I did not want to fail at being the kind of husband my wife could look at with admiration. I failed just about anything else, and I have failed a lot of it. I don't want to fail there. So you know what I did? I didn't try to figure it out on my own. Good God. Good Lord. I don't have the capacity 
But man, I have had the good fortune of being around some amazing dads and some amazing husbands. Amazing ones. So I buy them coffee and say, tell me about that. Or I'm going through this thing. Tell me about that. And some of you are actually in the room right now. And some of you, if you think about conversations we've had, you'll discover that I've been picking your brain over stuff. Number two, seek people who have a history of speaking the truth in love. You don't just need a truth teller. That was never the standard for the Bible. Just tell the truth. Oh, no, 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 no. Jesus was clear. The writers of the Bible were clear. You speak the truth in love. So you seek people who have a history of doing that. They can say incredibly profound and direct things with a heart for the people they're speaking to. Not a heart for the truth. That's minimum. That's expected. That must be there. But they actually have a heart for the people that they're speaking to. And when that's there, man, you want to surround yourself with those kinds of people. And actually you want to limit other influences. And then the third one. Seek people who have shown that they are for you. What I mean by that is they already have a history of some people. They've demonstrated to you their heart is for you. So these are the people when you need to process stuff you should go to because they already are for your good and for the purposes of God in your life. Number three, go where God has already promised to be. Uh, I'm getting a little older and um, sometimes my hearing isn't what it should be. And I've got one kid who just won't speak up when he talks. I've tried to beat it out of him. It doesn't work. Um, so whenever he's talking, it's a joke, by the way. I've never beat my kids. Uh, I've never beat my kids, just to be clear. Um, <laughs> but so like when, he, when he's talking, I just can't hear him. Like, so I'm like, what? What? You know what I have to do? I literally have to go up and go, I'm here. now what? You got to close the gap, right? So if you want to hear from God, go to where God consistently speaks. Let me, let me give you three of those. Prayer. Scripture and worship. Prayer, scripture, and worship. So uh, I use my hand a lot when I pray. Um, I want to walk you through a five-step process. I don't have time to unpack for you, but uh, the, when, I, when I pray a lot and I, and I want to hear from God, there's five for me, kind of five steps. So, so the first one, as I go number one, is like I start by thanking God. 80% of the time when I pray on this stage, I start by saying, thank you, God. That's just usually how I start my prayers. God, thank you for what you're doing. And then I usually begin to pray for other things and other people outside of my life, outside of my circle. Uh, things that I care about, things that have caught my attention, things I have responsibility for, but it isn't my personal life. So I ask God for stuff. The biblical word for that is intercession. And then I usually begin to ask God for stuff for me. That's called petition. Petition. And then usually if there's anything between me and God... Even if there's not, I usually use some language to say to God, God, if there be any wicked way in me, anything you want to put on my radar, anything that you want me to deal with, bring it to my mind. Confession, if you will. That's four of my five fingers. And then the fifth finger for me is praise. I try to end by thanking God for who he is. That's just one model. So when I literally bow my, hand, my head and kind of close my hands in prayer, I'm thinking through kind of a mechanical way. I'm, I'm wired very mechanical that way. I offer that to you to say that there are things you can do to make prayer easier, but let me make it clear to you. Prayer, through whatever form you want to do, is essential in your life. It's a privilege. It's not an obligation. But your spiritual life will stay anemic and powerless if you're not a prayer. I'm not saying you have to pray long prayers, but you have to pray a lot. For me, that 15 minutes every morning, a few 
paragraphs from God's word, a few minutes in prayer just sets the trajectory right. But it also puts me in a place to be able to hear. I close the gap. I go up and I kind of stand up close and go, I couldn't hear you back there, but here I am right here right now. Prayer, scripture, open the word, and worship has this powerful way of closing the gap between us. I want to close with this verse from Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, verse 46. Jesus is speaking, and I want you to get his heart here, all right? He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I'll show you what he's like. He is like a man building a house who dug, a, who dug deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when a flood arose and the storm broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been built well. When you listen to God and respond and you go to those places where God is talking and you go with an open heart, what happens is the foundation of your spiritual life is laid with care. It's laid upon a rock and it changes everything. So my heart for you, church, is that you would hear, not just with your ears, but you would hear with your heart, and you would grow to know the voice of God. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. I want you to grab out your Connect card, and let's try to take a couple steps together right now. I'm going to give you a chance today to begin a relationship with Jesus if you don't yet have one. Next step, April, as every week is today, I'm making Jesus my Savior and Lord. Making Jesus my Savior and Lord. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I've tried to give you a picture of his heart for you today. He wants to be an active part. He wants to actually be the leader of your life. And the Bible says you can begin that relationship with him by acknowledging that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. You cannot save yourself. I can't. Nobody can. But because of the work Jesus accomplished on the cross and in his resurrection, you can have life with God. We'd ask you to take your pen and check next step A and pray with me in a minute. I'll give you a chance to say to him, God, forgive me, cover me. I want, I want your life in me. Or today, next step B says, today I'm choosing to be baptized. We're going to have a baptism in a few weeks. We're going to celebrate people um, being brought to death with Christ, but being raised to new life with him as well. That's what happens in baptism. And if you'd like to do that, check the box, put the card in the offering bucket when it comes by in a moment, and that's how we communicate. Next step, C. Who would say, hey, I'll do the hand prayer each morning this week. Just send me the outline. I'll send it to you, all those details, a couple of verses. You just check the box. You'll get that right in your inbox Monday afternoon, Tuesday morning. And uh, you can maybe use that simple five-step process to just talk with God, especially if it's been a while since you've done some of that. All right? Now, next step, D says, uh, I'll go all in this week by doing one act of kindness. So as you exit today, we're going to give you an easy opportunity to do that. Somewhere up here, yeah. I have a little Easter invite card, and it's um, paper clipped to a free Chick-fil-A coupon. So you can get a free Chick-fil-A sandwich, God's food. When you get to heaven, the first thing you're going to get is boxed Chick-fil-A food. It's true in the Bible. So we've made it easy for you to invite people to Easter. Just, hey, you want some free Chick-fil-A? You hand them this. And has everything about the Easter service on it. Give it to somebody you know that just doesn't go to church. Right now, if you want to take it and spend it on yourself, it's fine. But you'll go to hell. <laughs> you will. You will. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. 
No, but you can use it to invite people to church. Uh, we want to make it as easy as possible. Or find some other way to serve somebody. And the next step, E, who would say, I'd like to attend Grow One? This is our uh, four-step process for spiritual growth where we talk about why our church exists, what we believe. We kind of share the core heart of this place, which is nothing more than biblical values expressed in our church. And a Grow One gives you a chance to learn. I'll just check the box. We'll send you all the information. Why don't you set that card aside? I want to give those of you that call this church home an opportunity to give back to God a portion of what he's blessed you with. Yeah. So this week I was, uh, I've, I got a new computer and I've been trying to transfer files over and I don't know how to do that stuff anymore, hardly. So I'm going through all my old emails. Which ones do I want to keep and not? It's, I feel like I'm wasting time, but I don't know what else to do. So anyway, I'm going through the emails and I came across, believe it or not, I came across the first mass email I sent the congregation after our very first Sunday. Real cool. Very cool. It was basically to the team that helped start the church, about 100 adults, several of you are still in the room. And it went something like this. I got a big, big surprise to share with you next Sunday. One of our launch team members, that's what we call the people that started the church, thought it'd be a really good idea to give 10% of our income from the very first Sunday to the work of God around the world. And we had a big offering on our first Sunday, I say in the email. Big offering. So we're actually going to give away $6,000 next Sunday, and I'm going to tell you where it's going to go. It's crazy. Oh, by the way, we don't get offerings like that very often, so, you know, in case you're wondering. But I was so thrilled to be able to say, and then I said, here's how, here's how we closed it. When we started this church, we decided that we would be a generous church. Thank you for being faithful in your giving and allowing us to do that. That's the first Sunday. Isn't that cool? Can I tell you something? 15 years later, unbroken history of faithfulness from you, generosity from this church, both in our walls and outside our walls. 50 orphan girls in India, soon to be 50 orphan boys in India with the home you're building. Missionaries in Cuba doing their work. Healing center just a couple of weeks ago, new life center just down the road feeding our hungry neighbors. Kids space, ministry here. You're generous. Thank you. Let's pray about our next steps in our offering. Father, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you, God, that you're still speaking to us. I pray that you would give us a desire to have ears like Samuel, a heart like Samuel. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. God, help us take the cotton out of our ears. Help us move close to where you're already moving. And speak to us. Draw us. And Father, as we take steps today, as we give in our offering today, my prayer is that you would take both of these actions and you would use them for your glory. You would cause the impact of our steps and our offering to go very far for your glory, for our good. Do your work through us and in us. And I lift up those men and women right now who are declaring, Jesus, wash away my sins. I trust you with my life. I can't save myself. I want to be your child. Lead me. Father, thank you for 15 years of your great faithfulness here and the generosity of this congregation. We pray it in the mighty name of Jesus, the strong Son of God. Amen and amen.